elevates. Hope all is well. Well is all. Welcome back to Elevated Frequencies reading segment. I am your host, Sherry, also known as Shy. And we will be continuing to read Legend Born by Tracy Dion. A story of a young girl who lost her mother at 16. And being at a supernatural school and a part of a magical war that is coming. Bree, being the main character's name, has to decide how far she'll go for the truth and whether she should use her magic to take the society down or join the fight. Hopefully at this time you found yourself in a comfortable position where you can enjoy this reading. If not, if you're getting prepared for work or you're on your way to handle some errands or whatever you may find yourself in this moment. Just take a moment to pause and at least take a deep breath. Inhale. giving yourself gratitude for just giving yourself that moment. I will begin reading chapter three of again, Legend Born by Tracy Dion. When I burst through the trees, I slow down. All thoughts of the impossible disappearing. Lights flash blue and red against the night sky and dread, heavy and sour, fills my stomach. A Durham County Sheriff patrol car has pulled into the lot and my friends are standing beside it talking to a deputy holding a notepad. Charlotte and the deputy both notice me approach. The deputy, a white man in his 40s, flicks his notebook closed and puts his hand on his hip as if to remind me there's no use in running away. The holstered gun on his other hip doesn't go unnoticed. Alice is tucked behind them, a great shadow with her head bowed. Her hair falls forward in a thick black curtain hiding her face. The sight makes my heart ache. When I reach the car, the deputy glances at Charlotte. This your friend? Charlotte nods, then continues rapidly explaining and apologizing. I go to Alice and look her over. You okay? She doesn't respond or look me in the eye. I reach for her shoulder, but she twists back away from my fingers. Alice. Now that we're all here, the deputy draws, aided by a long suffering sigh. He strides around the driver's side of his police car, taking his sweet time on purpose, I'm positive, and leans on the hood. Miss Simpson, you're free to go with a warning. The next time, it'll be a ticket. Miss Chin and Miss, he tips his head my way expectantly and raises a brow. I swallow my heart, still racing. Matthews, uh-huh, 
he nods at the back seat of the squad car. You're both with me. Beside me, Alice's hands shake in her lap. I glance at the squad car's glowing blue digital cop. 1032. We've been on the dark, empty back road to campus for 11 silent minutes. Neither of us have ever ridden in a police car. It smells like leather and gun oil and something sharp and minty. My eyes land on a round green and black tin of classic green wintergreen flavored skull in the cup holder between the front seats. Ugh. Beyond the metal mesh divider, a dusty laptop sits attached to the center console. Below it, there's a pile of electrical equipment sprouting coiled wires and covered with dials and switches. The deputy, whose name tag says Norris, fiddles with the radio station until it hits the chorus of Sweet Home Alabama over the crackling speaker. I'm 16. I pay attention. I listen to the stories from uncles, cousins, hell, my own father, about police run-ins and stops. I see the videos online. Sitting in this car and thinking about those images makes my heart pound. I don't know if there's a single black person in this country who can say with 100% confidence that they feel safe with the police. Not after the past few years. Probably not ever. Maybe there are some, somewhere, but I sure as hell don't know them. Alice sits stiff as a board, gaze locked outside the window onto the endless wall of passing shadowed woods. In the front seat, Norris taps his thumb on the wheel and mouths, Lord, I'm coming home to you. Alice, I whisper, something happened. I'm not talking to you. Come on, I hiss. Back at the campfire, there was a... God, I don't know where to start. It was the fight, I think. Quit the chatter, Deputy Norris orders. I catch his eyes in the mirror. He raises a brow as if to say, Say something, I dare you. I shudder my gaze and look away. After a few minutes, Norris speaks up. So Carolina, my kid applied a couple years ago. He didn't get in. Tough school to crack. Pricey too. Neither one of us knows what to say to that. How'd y'all swing it? We both hesitate. Swing what? Getting accepted or the cost? Alice answers first. Scholarship. How about you, girlfriend? Norris's eyes find me in the mirror. I'm guessing need-based. Alice stiffens and my hackles raise. I'm not his girlfriend, and I'm not ashamed to have financial aid, but that's not what he's asking. Affirmative action is written all over his knowing sneer. Merit, I bite out through gritted teeth, even though it's none of his business either way. He chuckles. <laughs> sure. I breathe through a surge of impotent rage. My fingers curl into my thighs, tensing with all of the things I can't afford to say right now. After a few minutes, the car slows. We're still miles from campus and there's no intersection or car in sight. Just a straight two-lane road illuminated by the squad's car, squad car's highlights. Then I see why Norris is stopping. Two figures have emerged from the tree line on the other side of the road. As the squad car pulls closer, lights on full, 
The figures cover their eyes with raised hands. Norris rolls to a stop beside them, turns the volume down, and lowers his window. Late to be out for a stroll. Norris, is it? The blood drains from my face at the sound of that voice. Deputy Norris's shoulders tense. Kane, his eyes slide to the left. Morgan, sorry about that, didn't recognize y'all. Alice leans against her own window to get a better look at who I know to be Solon and Tor. Nosy, legendborn. I noticed, Sel says slowly. He bends at the waist and I direct my eyes straight ahead, face blank. In my peripheral vision, I see his gaze linger on me for a moment, then move to Alice. His attention sets my nerves on fire. Stragglers from the quarry? Yep, Norris confirms. He hesitates, then clears his throat. <clears throat> Anything to be concerned about there? So one stands. Not anymore. Glad to hear, Norris chuckles his tight. Nervous. Norris knows. He knows. Is that all? Solon asks dryly. If Norris is offended that he, a Durham County Sheriff's deputy and full-grown man, is being as good as dismissed by a teenage boy, he doesn't show it. Just taking these two back to campus. Cell is already walking down the road, his attention withdrawn. On your way. On your way. Not a request. Not a suggestion. An order. Any ounce of security I could have felt in this car is erased in three words. Whatever higher power Deputy Norris answers to, these two teenagers outrank him. Norris salutes Tor before he follows Cell. Then he shifts the car into drive to continue down the road towards UNC. After a minute, he turns the radio back up and hums under his breath. I gather my courage and twist as subtly as possible to rear out the rear wind to peer out the rear windshield. Tor and Cell are gone. Beside me, Alice slumps back against the seat. I don't attempt to talk to her again. If I didn't know what to say before, then I definitely don't know don't know that I've don't now that I've seen the way law enforcement interacts with these so called legendborn. I spend the rest of the drive reviewing my earlier word to Alice and end up both relieved and terrified. Relieved because I said nothing in Norris's presence to indicate that I knew what really happened at the quarry. Terrified because I witnessed something that I was not meant to see and so when Kane had wanted to do something about that. Deputy Norris would not have stopped him. Three thoughts chase one another in the entire ride to campus until they bleed into a single stream of words. Magic, real, here. Norris drops us off in front of Old East, the historic building that houses early college students. We take the stairs up to our dorm on the third floor in silence. Once inside, Alice changes into her pajamas and climbs into bed without saying goodnight. I find myself standing adrift in the middle of our floor. On her side of the room, Alice has a row of framed photos of her brother and sisters and parents on vacation in Taiwan on the shelf above her desk. 
Her parents declared early on that they would pick her up from the dorms every Friday so that she can spend the weekend at home in Bentonville. But that didn't stop her from decorating like she'd live here full time. Earlier today, she'd hung a few rom-com movie posters on the wall and draped a six-foot string of Christmas lights over her bed. On my side, there are no pictures, no posters, nothing decorative at all, really. Back home, it hurt beyond tolerance to walk the halls of my childhood home and see photos of my mother alive and smiling. I even heard, hid her knickknacks. Any sign of her existence cut into my heart. So when it came time to move to Chapel Hill, I packed light. All I have here are a few plastic bins of books and stationery, a suitcase of clothes, my favorite sneakers, my laptop, and phone, and a small box of toiletries. After tonight, everything looks like an artifact from another world where magic doesn't exist. Real here. Three other words join the thread. Merlin, Kingsmage, Legendborn. I don't expect to find sleep, but I climb into bed anyway. Childhood images colliding with the hellish reality I'd witnessed tonight. When I was little, I loved the idea of magic. The kind that lives in Percy Jackson and Charmed. Sometimes magic seemed like a tool that could make life easier. Something that could make the impossible possible. But real magic includes creatures that feed on humans. A small voice inside me thinks that if they hunt those creatures, the legend born must be good. They must be. But when the night slips into early morning, that voice grows quiet. By the time I fall asleep, my ears ring with echoes. That boy's sharp cry of pain when Cell forced him to his knees. Dustin's slurred mumble as he marched to the parking lot. And the ISIL scream when Cell destroyed it. Woo. That's the end of chapter three, guys. Yep, I'm going to leave y'all thirsty for chapter four. Um... Thank you so much for joining. Uh, what we have in the background is Magic Bookstore in the Woods, Volume 2, Iroh's Bookstore from YouTube. Um, the Vault of Ambience is the um, direct person. Um, yeah, come back next week, next Tuesday, which will be January 10th for Chapter 4 of Legend Born by... Tracy Dion. We're going to get more and more into this. I'm excited. I hope you guys are as well. And um, again, thank you so much for joining. We're going to go ahead and end this out. You can sit here for a few. I'll just have this playing in the background for you just to enjoy. And until next time, stay true. Stay you. Namaste.